For those who have the heart of a teacher, Titus 2 will have a special resonance with them. And for the rest of us, Titus 2 is a reminder of how much we all need to be taught and retaught again the core essentials of the faith. Welcome to First 15. This is where we listen to God's Word and we meditate on it and then pray it back to Him. I'm Ron and I'll be your guide on this part of the journey, which we are actually covering in Season 4 as we look at New Testament letters and especially how do we pray letters of the New Testament and take the, the teaching from within them and make them a part of our lives on a, on a regular daily basis. We're going to be looking at Titus 2, as I mentioned just a moment ago, and this look at Titus is a three-part series, and so we're right in the middle of things, and there's so much today. In fact, the more that I spend time with this very short letter, the second shortest letter that Paul wrote, it just helps me understand the complexity that is there. And that's one of the benefits that comes as we engage with Scripture, as we meditate on it and just spend time reading it and letting it work on us. So I hope to share some of that today. But the most important thing to get from this whole time is listen to God speak from Scripture and then pray Scripture back to God. With that said, let's listen to the words of these 15 verses from Titus 2, and then we can make some comments about them. You, Titus, speak what is proper for healthy teaching. The older men should be temperate, worthy of respect, self-controlled, and sound or healthy in faith, in love, and in endurance. Likewise, the older women should be reverent in behavior, not slanderers, not enslaved to a lot of wine, but teachers of that which is good, so that they can train the young wives or young women to love their husbands, to love their children, to be sober-minded, chaste, and workers in their own home, kind, submitting to their own husbands, that God's word may not be blasphemed. Likewise, encourage the younger men to be sober-minded. In all things, show yourself an example of good works. In your teaching, show integrity, seriousness, incorruptibility, and healthy speech that can't be condemned so that the one who opposes you may be ashamed, having no evil thing to say about us. Encourage servants to submit to their own masters and to be well-pleasing in all things, not contradicting their masters, not stealing, but showing good faith that they may adorn the doctrine of God our Savior in all things. For the grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation to all people, and teaching us to say no to ungodliness and worldly desires, to live self-controlled, righteous, and godly lives in the present age, while waiting for the blessed hope, appearing in glory of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ, who gave himself for us 
to redeem us from all lawlessness and to purify for himself a people who are his, eager to do good deeds. Speak these things and encourage and rebuke with all strength to keep order. Don't let anyone disregard you. So that's Titus 2. And there's a lot of references in here about teaching. In fact, more than I can recall in any other passage in the New Testament where there's just a lot of focus on teaching and repetition of the word to teach or about paying attention to our teaching. So Paul is taking what he said at the beginning about be on the lookout for good leaders and be on the watch and take action against wayward leaders or corrupt leaders and teachers who are coming among the churches in Crete and leading people astray. And the real focus of this middle section of the letter to Titus is on healthy teaching. Now, you may have heard it taught or translated in other versions as sound doctrine The word in Greek is literally teaching. It's not specifically doctrine. The word sound has the the idea of something that is healthy. Like if you have a sound mind, a sound body, you're healthy. Everything is, is functioning well and doing well. So I think the translation healthy teaching is actually more in line with what Paul is going for as he's encouraging Titus to look at this and to focus on the thing that's really going to make the most impact in Crete. So in verse 1, Paul starts off by emphasizing this. And in verse 15, at the very end, he sums it up again and re- and touches on this theme again. And so I, I think this is really the f- core focus for all of chapter 2. We can break up chapter 2 into two other parts. The first one is what I call household roles. And so Paul addresses different uh, roles that people have, like the older men, the older women, the younger women, the younger men. And then he talks about slaves as well. So all of these are within the household of faith. It kind of reminds me of Colossians 3 or Ephesians 5 when the the different roles within the household of faith are emphasized, whether it's husbands and wives or children, obey your parents, or slaves, obey your masters. And then the second section is what God's grace itself teaches us in verses 11 through 14. So I want to look at each one of these just briefly before we uh, spend a little bit of time praying them back to God. First of all, you could spend some time looking into each one of these different roles and meditating on what these words mean and what is you know really being said here. I won't have time to really go in depth on on, on any of them, honestly. But as Paul addresses. First of all, the older men in verse 2, it's interesting. He says older men should be temperate and sensible or worthy of respect. They should be self-controlled um, or sober-minded and sound in faith, in love, and in endurance. 
And so um, this whole notion of sound or healthy is emphasized for the older men. And this ties in with the theme that we talked about in the last episode about how do we pray this passage and especially apply it to ourselves, especially when it's addressing like the leadership in the church and maybe you're not in a leadership position or formal leadership, like you're not one of the pastors or an elder in the body or a bishop. However you want to, whatever church tradition you come from and how you refer to the leadership of the church, that's really the people that Paul is addressing and who he's asking Titus to give attention to in chapter 1. And I mentioned, even if you're not in one of those formal positions of authority, the focus on character is something that applies to all of us about growing in Christian character. And just to emphasize that point, now Paul goes through all the different roles, the major you know, categories that exist. And in each one of them, you see an emphasis on character, the Christian character that needs to be formed and to grow that's relevant to people at that stage or in that station, that role in life. So for the older men, they really are supposed to be setting an example for others, um, whether they are one of the elders of the church or not. Paul then pivots and says, likewise, the older women should be exhibiting a reverent life in how they live. They should not be slanderers, or they shouldn't be women addicted to, to a lot of wine or drinking a lot of wine, and they should be teachers. In fact, specifically, they should be teaching the younger women. So there's some interesting things here. I won't go into each one of them, but I would remark that having women in the church that set a good example for others, to me, is really the backbone, the strength of the church. You know, we often um, focus on the full-time ministers or people on church staff. But I've actually, in my experience, seen that it's often the older women, the women of influence, who are the unseen movers and influencers within any church body. And if there's godliness in their ranks, that church, not that it won't have any problems, but it will tend to be much stronger and it will have a lot more health within it. But if there is gossip, if there's envy, if there is a problem with self-control, which might be exhibited by being given to too much wine, drinking too much wine, or such things, or if there's a breakdown in not teaching, not being able, not passing on lessons and wisdom to the younger generation, if those things are evident or missing in the, in the case that's appropriate, the overall church body is going to be weaker. And so the older women have an incredibly important function to serve. Now I'm aware, looking back on the past year with pandemic, uh, in fact, this was mentioned uh, to me in my circles, I've just seen a lot more things recently about, you know, coping with the confinement and staying at home and everyone being at home. And in the midst of that, I've seen an emphasis actually on wine and turning to wine as a coping strategy, especially targeted to women, interestingly enough. And so I find this advice that Paul gives Titus about addressing the Cretan older women particularly appropriate of make sure that there's not an over-reliance or an enslavement to 
wine, that you're not under the power. This is reminding me so much of Ephesians 5, 18, where Paul tells the church there, he says, don't be drunk on wine, but be filled with the Holy Spirit. It's a contrast between whether we're filling ourselves with some medicating substance, whether it would be alcohol or other things as well, or whether we are in fact being led and uh, guided and mastered by the Holy Spirit. Younger women, the sort of things that Paul says Titus should be teaching the younger women, or that the younger women should be taught by the older women, are things that we would just think of kind of uh, are, don't have to be repeated, but it's interesting that Paul feels the need to, to say them. Train the, the younger women to love their husbands, to love their children, to themselves be self-controlled or sober-minded, to be chaste, to be busy and mindful of their work at home, and to also submit to their husbands. Now, a number of those things may be seen as really out of date or coming from a whole different culture or context. And the truth is, yes, they are. In the first century world, women did not have a lot of opportunities. They didn't work outside the home nearly as much as what we have today. So it may be a little more difficult to hear these words and to apply them to ourselves today. But I would say we need to, like any passage of the Bible, read it within context, understand that it wasn't written directly to us, although we can listen in on the conversation and and apply the principles to ourselves. But we need to understand it in context. And in the first century world, in the Roman Empire, uh, the opportunities open to women were much more limited than what we have today. So let's just state that openly. To address the younger women today, whether they are married or not married, whether they are staying at home, taking care of children and the household matters, or whether they are working in an employment situation that requires them to take care of the demands of a a separate job outside of their household duties. In that wide variety of circumstances, I think there's still some points here that in what Paul says that still have uh, you know some relevance just look at the priorities that he mentions it's important especially for the young women who are married love your husbands he puts that first and to love your children so that comes next i don't think that this order is random or out of place and so just think about that reflect on um what Paul may be implying or saying here, to be self-controlled, to also be industrious, to keep yourself and your hands busy about the work that you need to get done. Um, You may think, I don't need to be reminded of that. I've got more than enough on my hands. I've got, you know, so much that I've got to take care of or to do. And here's where knowing a little bit more about the context would be very helpful for us. It seems to me these just very basic things that Paul feels the need to emphasize to Titus probably arose from the fact that in Crete at the time, there was a what I call just a fundamental breakdown in society where these sort of basic 
responsibilities, these basic duties that we would think of were just not being done. People were not focusing on taking care of their family and their domestic duties like they should so that they needed to be taught these basic essential points once again needed them emphasized we'll see a little bit more about that in a second and the the reasoning that lies behind all of this that Paul gives is take care of all these things so that God's word doesn't get slighted or you know talked down so that among believers, the way that we live our lives, that it actually is a good advertisement. It's a good illustration of how the gospel changes lives, helps us to be fully functioning, healthy human beings who contribute to society, who care about our fellow man and woman, and take care of what our given role is in society. Now, I find the fourth group that is addressed very interesting because the fourth group, whenever Paul tells Titus, likewise, encourage or exhort the younger men to be self-controlled or sober-minded. And that's the only thing he says. Young men, I think, have a lot of energy, but they need to develop and learn the lessons of self-control and channeling it in the right direction and the, for the right pursuits. Paul doesn't ask Titus to do anything else with the young men except he turns this to Titus in a very personal way and says, in everything, show yourself to be an example through good works. And in your teaching, show integrity. It's almost like Paul is saying, Titus, you yourself, being a younger man, are going to be either a helpful example to other younger men, or you're going to detract and give them a justification for going off and doing their own thing that is not helpful for building up the household of faith, the body of Christ. And so, in going about your own work, you're setting an important precedent, an example for others, that they will measure um, their own discipleship, their own faith by you. And so look at what you do and make sure that it is living up to the high calling that you've been given. And then he turns in verse 9 to the servants, which were very common in the first century world, you know, it's been estimated that the majority of society was in a position of servitude or being slaves, you know, not the same as chattel slaves, you know, owned for life, that sort of thing, but it, at least in a, a position where they were under the control and influence of their masters. And so the servants or slaves, Paul tells Titus, encourage the slaves or servants to be in submission to their masters and to do things in a way that's well-pleasing to them and not talking back, not giving a lot of attitude, not being contradictory, not stealing from their masters, but showing good faith so that they also will adorn the teaching of God our Savior with 
beauty with, you know, in all good things. So how do we apply that to our day? It's not like we have a lot of slaves or servants and that sort of thing around us. We can take, though, any time we have a position where we are under other people's authority, whether you're a student in school, or maybe you're young in your career and you have a lot of senior people over you and you're in a place where you have to submit to other people's guidance and uh, directives and basically do what you're told to do. This is the kind of advice that Paul gives, which is submit to those who have proper authority and don't be talking back, don't be giving attitude, don't be justifying your behavior like stealing from them and saying, well, you know, I'm getting the raw end of this deal anyway, so I'm going to take advantage and, you know, just, you know, they won't miss it anyway. Show good faith so that you adorn the teaching with acts of good Christian character. So having talked about these different roles in the household of faith, verses 2 through 10, Paul then turns and talks about what is the basis of it? What well do we draw from for our teaching? Where is all this coming from? And he reminds Titus in one of those, there's just two passages in this short letter that actually are closer to the sort of things we run across in his other letters, where it is more theological. It's more explicit about, you know, what God has done for us and what we're living out, what we're, you know, um, trying to realize the implications of this in our life. And so in verses 11 through 14, Paul reminds Titus, he says, God's grace has appeared, bringing deliverance to all of us and teaching us to say no to ungodliness and worldly desires, to live self-controlled, righteous, and godly lives in this present age while we wait for our hope, the blessed hope, and, and the appearing of Christ, our Savior, and our great God. Christ himself gave himself up for us to redeem us from lawlessness, all unlawfulness, and to purify for himself a people who are his, eager to do good deeds, If I were to sum up the letter to Titus as like, what is this letter all about? There's a phrase or a theme that I see repeated over and over, which is like doing good deeds, do good. And it's like, we are created in Christ to do good, to do, to be people who are focused on adding goodness, being healthy influences in society. And that's really what we need to be doing, whether that includes a leadership role within the church or not. No matter what position we find ourselves in, whether we're older or younger, or even in a a non-person role like the servants, a subservient position, regardless of where you are, at the top, the middle, the bottom, whether you're on the left or the right, wherever you happen to be, focus on doing good. And that's going to take self-control, not giving free reign to your desires, not doing what came natural to Cretans, which was, oh, Zeus was a wild sort of, you know, character. And I can just, you know, get drunk on wine. I can go, you know, sleep around, do whatever I want. No, we aren't living to please ourselves. We live in the power of what God has done for us and in us. 
and we're living out the implications of that, and we're growing in the truth of it day by day as we learn to master ourselves and these desires, as we develop self-control, and as we develop a sense of our called purpose, our mission to do good. The last verse of chapter 2, Paul tells Titus, teach, encourage, and rebuke with strength to keep order. Don't let anyone disregard you. Don't let people blow you off, basically. And while he doesn't say in exactly these words, the force of it, whenever I read it in Greek and really pick up on what is the tone of what Paul is trying to say, he's trying to tell Titus, show strength. There is a time to show strength. And he's telling Titus, you are living in that time and in this situation where you need to be the strong one. This is not the time to be meek, to turn the other cheek, you know, to try to listen real closely to the false teachers and show some respect and act like, hmm, let me understand where you're coming from. No, no, no. This is not the time to entertain or to to act at all like there's some value in what these people who are wrecking the church are doing. No, you need to stand strong. You need to be able to speak forcefully. You have to rebuke. As strongly as Paul had told Titus, you need to find men who are irreproachable, unrebukable, basically. They need to have good character that doesn't need to be rebuked, like the false teachers. As much as you need to look for that, Titus, you yourself need to be someone who can rebuke, who can stand up and exhort and turn people to the right way and lay it out clearly. This is the right way. We need to do this. We need to do good and be a strong spokesman for doing what is good. Let's take a moment and let's pray this truth back to God from Titus 2. God, you have come among us and shown us your grace. You've shown us mercy by delivering us from sin and darkness, from evil. You have shown a total lack of selfishness, even though you deserve all attention, you deserve all glory and praise. It should be all about you. But you showed us by the example of Jesus, by coming to earth, by submitting, by not holding on to glory that is rightfully yours, that love can lay aside rights and take a position of service. And Lord, we need to embrace that truth as hard as it is. We need to hear that and to live it out in our lives. God, help us put aside our own selfish desires and to be self-controlled, to be sober-minded, not drunk, not drunk with power, drunk with lust, drunk on all the things that come from binging, from indulging ourselves, putting our own comfort first and last. God, help us, help us to do good, to do whatever we can to be a blessing, to live healthy lives, to live according to healthy teaching, to give a promise of life and hope 
and a message that flies in the face of what the larger culture is trying to emphasize and expressing, which is ultimately about giving into our desires and just going with what we want to do and taking care of ourselves first and foremost. Father, thank you for Paul addressing Titus. Thank you for preserving this message for us and reminding us how important it is that we teach the truth to one another, that we stand strong, that we're willing to take the, the knocks that are going to come from those who don't want to hear this message, who don't want their hearts challenged, don't want to hold themselves up to a higher standard. Help us, Lord, to be bold spokesmen, spokespeople for the truth and to live it out in our lives. Thank you once again. We pray this to your glory and in the name of your Son, Jesus Christ. Amen. I hope that Titus 2 is a place that you can turn to and really dive in and become much more familiar with what is being shared here and get into not just the words, but the whole spirit of it and the tone of it and what Paul is telling Titus and what Titus is um, charged to live out in his own life and how that helps us reflect on the kind of people we ought to be in this day, in the particular challenges that we have in 2021, if you're listening to it in this year when we're recording it, or if it's a later time, you're coming back to this and discovering it for the first time. I hope that in your present age, just like Paul told Titus, that in the present age, these things have been revealed and we need to be faithful in living them out and being a witness to them. The same applies to us 2,000 years later. We need to be faithful in this present time, in this age, being a witness and living out the truth that we see here while we wait for the return and we are eager to see the return of Christ very soon. Let's focus on doing good. Do something concrete. Make this something very practical in your own life. What is it that God is calling you to do to be a voice and a force for good, to do good deeds? Grab hold of something and make this concrete and real and apply it to your own life. That's my charge to you as we close out our time today. And I just want to thank you for listening to this podcast episode. Don't miss the third and the final episode that we're going to have on Titus 3 coming up, and also the last episode that we will have of season four for praying through the New Testament letters. And so um, I hope that you will be focusing on the lesson and how it applies to you in this week, and that you can come back for the next and the final lesson before we turn the page and uh, we let other parts of scripture speak to us. Blessings to you.